This episode is all about the regulation of new technologies such as blockchain and the basic ideas about it. I speak with Michael Collane, a lawyer from Germany, who is deep into this topic as a scientist. Have fun. Welcome to The Blockchain Lawyer, a podcast on technology and law. Dennis Hilleman is an accomplished lawyer with over 13 years of experience and a passion for creating a better future through blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive innovations. All statements expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the host and his guests only and are in no way legal or financial advice. And now, here is your host, Dennis. Hello everyone, what's up? This is Dennis Hilleman. Welcome to this new episode of The Blockchain Lawyer. And this episode is pretty cool because we've got Michael Collane, a lawyer from Germany who's working as a scientist on very basic questions of regulations of new technologies with us. I will we'll be doing an interview that will be particularly looking into basic questions of if we should do regulation at all, who should be doing the regulation, the state or non-state organizations, what we need to consider, what special things we need to consider with blockchain technology and other technologies. And Michael is just not only an expert, he's also a very, very nice guy. And I think we had a splendid interview. So here we are. Michael will introduce himself as well and have fun with this podcast episode. Michael, hello. Welcome to this podcast. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, cool to have you on board. Michael, I, I've been knowing you now uh, since 2018, but please let the listeners know what's your passion, what you're doing, who are you? Well, yeah, I'm Michael uh, Kohlein. Um, I'm a German lawyer and been researching on yeah, new technologies and the law from a public law perspective for around five years now. One of my first interests was blockchain technology. been doing extended research on this topic uh, with an um, IT expert, Christian Wirth. Um, and we yeah, started also a standardization project on blockchain technology, DINSPEC 4997. And um, I work uh, in research in my, in my uh, main job. I'm a coordinator and uh, research associate at the German Research Institute for Public Administration, which is a state-funded a research institute with a focus on the public administration, public sector, and um, the transformation of that. And our part is um, the digitalization. So we look at the transformation of the state in the digital age, working there with uh, Professor Mario Martini, who is my uh, supervisor and um, at the institute. And on the other hand, I do my also um, independent research uh, on blockchain uh, under the label of privacy by blockchaindesign.com. And um, yeah, it's mostly on the intersection of law and IT. This is the things that I'm interested in, work interdisciplinary and find solutions, how to uh, have a digital society which has a high amount of freedom and um, that we're used to and that uh, also respect human rights. How did you come into blockchain? I mean, um, you know, there's not many lawyers into blockchain. Most are especially in the STO offerings, ICOs, in the financial aspects of blockchain. But you're um, deeply into different fields like regulation and constitutional matters. How did that happen? Well, the interests are merged and I'm interested in new technologies and how we can provide privacy in the digital world has been always interesting me since I graduated and I've been going into this research department on uh, the digital transformation of the state. Um, and the interest on in blockchain actually came through friends. Um, it didn't come from the legal um, sphere. Um, it came one for all from my good friend Christian Wirt that I researched on that. He told me, he's an IT guy, and he told me very frantically and with a lot of euphoria about this new technology called blockchain. Um, basically, yeah, we have a technology where we don't need banks anymore and we can do payments by Bitcoin back then. And he showed me the white paper and he was really interested in it. And 
some other friends also uh, shared the same interest. And um, for me, I've always uh, been interested also in the, um, the constitutional system of a federal state, um, of decentralization of power, and uh, how the German constitution is doing that. Um, so decentralization as a way to make societies more democratic has been always in my key interest and to delegate power uh, to those, to the lowest level that is possible and give the people the input to make decisions on a political level from uh, from bottom up has been always a very key problem of, uh, that I, w I was thinking about. And I also worked for a time after my graduation for an NGO which uh, tries to promote direct democracy in uh, Germany and, and Europe. And so the interest on decentralization uh, merged with this new technology. And it, to be honest, it took me a while to understand why it's so disruptive or seen as so disruptive. Um, and um, pretty quickly, I stopped being interested in the cryptocurrency part of blockchain because I realized it's just a new measure of speculation it's just a new way of creating value um, but i was more interested and realized okay the technology behind is interesting because it can serve decentralization without uh, centralization of power in one entity and that's what i looked into more and less the, the cryptocurrency part of it so i understand correctly that the part about blockchain that you really like is that it gives power back to the people in a decentralized way well yes it's not really only it's on one side it gives power to give influence on what happens to the individual user but on the other hand side it also gives the potential to distribute power among different actors um, and avoid centralization because i think um, centralization of power is one of the key problems that democracy is trying um, and the constitution is trying to solve. Um, and at the same time, the digital sphere, we saw from the free internet of the 90s, also a development towards uh, centralization in the hands of big corporations. Um, and so, and then also in the banking crisis of uh, 2000, 2008 and the reaction through blockchain on, on Bitcoin on that, I realized, okay, too much power in one hand is a is a problem, and blockchain community is trying to solve that into the IT world and give us different protocols and different ways of interaction, which give me as an individual user and all the other individual users more influence on in what's happening and less these powerful actors. So that's basically uh, the interest that fascinates me about uh, about blockchain technology. Yeah, I can only agree. As you know, I'm also not so much into the whole crypto space, though, of course, I follow it. And I also very much like the idea of uh, distributing power. But nonetheless, I mean, our topic today is regulations of such new technologies such as blockchain. And if we talk about regulations, it comes from central authorities. Isn't that uh, something that looks a little uh, that looks uh, is a little bit odd. Do we need regulation of blockchain at all, from your point of view? Well, I think talking about regulation, we have to first understand what we mean by that. I think in the more Anglo-American world, regulation is more the regulator, so it's the supervisory body that is regulating something. But I personally mean it in a more broad sense of giving rules. Um, of even making laws, more of the lawmaking um, aspect. And um, I think like for most things, then should be a kind of legal or normative framework on how we as a society, we need a consensus on how we want to use certain things like pharmaceuticals, cars, um, smartphones, and also um, value like uh, even currency. So for all of that, we have a, to find a common understanding of how we want to use it. And in the democratic process, then we make laws um, and say, okay, these are the basic guidelines that you have to follow if you want to go into any of those sectors. So for me, this is regulation. is just basically an understanding of society of how we want to use technology. In the case of uh, blockchain, blockchain technology, technology. Um, I don't also as like a central authority giving rules but kind of it's um, 
giving a framework of uh, this technology to be used in a certain way and to find a mix um, to reduce the, the risks and to use the, the chances. And um, this is the process that we're in now. And um, it shall also lead to some uh, frameworks of normative understanding. Uh, in case of blockchains, like how much transparency do we want? How much automatization of processes do we want? How much human influence do we want? And also the question is like, which intermediaries that blockchain can uh, dissolve do we actually need? Because one of the things about blockchain is, and which is I see sometimes as too radical or maybe too simplistic is to say we should get rid of all intermediaries and give the uh, influence only on the technical level. There certainly is legitimate uh, centralized powers. And here we can do centralization, but in some ways it's really useful to have an intermediary on certain things. And here we should embrace it and say, that's a good thing. And then use blockchain to make it maybe more transparent what's happening, but we don't need to uh, have a peer-to-peer -peer world on everything. I think this would be a step back. Uh, so it's really also an economical thought of seeing, okay, how much, where should the individual be there? Where should we have platforms? Where should we have intermediaries? And how can we control power? And for these questions, all taken together, that's the process where we're in now, we shall lead into some legal framework, um, but we're not really there yet, I feel. I feel. Very good. Um, what are the key points um, or the key elements on that blockchain technology needs regulation from your point of view? What do you see as the big threats that come with blockchain and that we maybe need to regulate? Well, I, I can talk about the, the risks. One is like transparency. I mean, if you look at the, the Bitcoin protocol, you have a very high um, level of, uh, uh, of transparency of the transaction data. Um, still, of course, it's uh, reduced uh, to the pseudonyms of uh, the, the, the keys, the, the cryptographic keys, but we have all the data which comes up public. And in some other cases, we don't want that high amount of privacy, uh, that high amount of transparency, and we need to feel like what's the right amount here in which use case that we're working on. And um, I mean, the, the developments are already going in this direction of zero knowledge groups and uh, other ways of putting, um, let's say, privacy layer on top of the data layer that we have. But um, and the other thing that I find worthwhile to consider is, and it strongly depends on the context you use it, but if you use blockchain technology and smart contracts, you assume that the problem you're trying to solve can be, be put into a deterministic uh, rule set and uh, the rules that we use in law are not always that this deterministic. So by um, programming a problem into a smart contract and trying to automatize it using blockchain technology, you can simplify it um, and thus create new problems. So we should look from a complexity point of view of which problems are very suitable to be solved uh, using this technology which mostly gives us the chance to store data in a shared way without any individual which is sharing the data to manipulate the data set. Like, where do we really need this kind? And where do we, can we solve it just through a, a server or like even a protected silo? Um, so this is the understanding um, that we have to find out and kind of changes the way every time we implement technology, we can now have another tool that we can use and say, I may Maybe this distributed ledger can help me in this way to avoid a problem uh, that I couldn't solve before. And uh, so it's feel more from this technological point of view on how is the most efficient way of the most uh, privacy-friendly way to solve my problem. Uh, and there I want blockchain. And on the other sides, uh, we don't need it. So I don't also don't want to hide a problem and say we can use solve all our problems, but to say, where are the use cases uh, where we really can uh, take the, the best out of it? Thank you very much. Very cool. And when you look at um, blockchain and the complexity of a matter uh, of a technology, I mean, we've both been like working in the blockchain field now for a while and 
we both met at the, uh, the German Institute for Standardization and uh, uh, for working on an industrial standard on blockchain. Um, but many lawyers don't understand blockchain. Um, do you think that actually our state system is able to regulate blockchain well? Or should there be a different approach um, in regulating blockchain? I think there's, yeah, there's not, we should not choose the top-down way of kind of giving rules. And actually what we're doing with our standardization project is just the opposite way, to use the knowledge um, of the people actually working with it to create something bottom-up and say, okay, these are some common rules that we can agree on. Uh, and we shouldn't just say, okay, it's people in the parliament, please, please give us rules because you need a very specific skill set and interest also to understand the intersection of law with new technologies. You have to be, to enjoy to go to work interdisciplinary. Many lawyers, I mean, law itself is complex enough that you can only work with that. So you need, but also this interest in how does this technology work and what can I do with it? What's the legal and societal implications of it and from this point you can start thinking and getting a point of view on on these uh, topics and you're right this uh, this interest is there in many lawyers i mean in the process of working on these topics i see how many people are actually interested in it but it's maybe not the the majority of, of lawyers uh, yet but we also don't need the majority of lawyers to be blockchain experts enough if there are some who can put it into words that the others understand it uh, and get an idea of the problem and that there's enough scientific and uh, journalistic literature for people to understand uh, the thing and at the same time blockchain technology as such is so complex uh, and so abstract also because in the end the law always regulates use cases or courts decide about use cases um, we both need the very abstract understanding of what DLT, like distributed ledgers, can do and help. But on the other hand side, uh, also we need these bottom-up uh, movements uh, who say, okay, we want this decentralized technology to be accepted into society. We want it to be integrated in the legal framework, framework. And we actually want to improve the level of privacy that we have at the moment and put it to next level through blockchain technology. Because this is, I think, the point how you can convince like large parts of society to say, look, if you use this solution, you will have more control over your data flow than before. And uh, the need for trusting technology is, I think, super high at the moment. And uh, so this bottom up can prove, okay, look what we can do with this technology. and. What we're trying also to do with the standardization is to say, what are the legal, what is the legal framework that we need around of, uh, to shape this technology in a way um, that is privacy friendly? Because we see it also with the internet as such. It's, technologies, I think, always have the potential to be used or mis in a good way or like to be misused also. And this is very strongly uh, depends on how. The, the debate in society is going and which actors are kind of uh, jumping onto the technology. And uh, so for me as lawyers and people who are interested in human rights, using this technology and kind of uh, shaping it also from early on to get to its highest potential is super necessary because in the, the internet we saw it also, we all believed in all this Activity. We can talk anonymously with strangers all over the world, and now somehow it leads to a kind of surveillance uh, system in the hands of a few uh, actors. And in order to prevent that, um, to that the technology is driving away uh, in a in a bit from the common good, is I think the the duty of the law of lawyers, and that's why we should be interested in that and try to shape it in a way that is good for society and uh, all members of society in the end. And um, so that's why I think as we should also be interested and try to shape it with our perspective and thus help also the IT community to understand what are the legal implications and societal implications of what they do, because often they just, their job is to solve a certain problem and make a very difficult code. They don't always have the like huge perspective on it. And that's where, lawyers can help. 
I, I, oh man, there were so many things in that. I, let me, let me start by this. Um, I remember when we first met, I think it was like in March or March, 2018, I think, or February, 2018, can recall. It was like the first meeting at the German Institute for Standardization for me. It was the start, start meeting. And there were like all these um, IT uh, folks, all these younger people than me. Of course, Michael is also very much younger than me, but there were all these young people. And uh, Christian Wirt was there too. You just mentioned him. And he like gave a an, an graphical idea of where he wants to go with the industry with a standard uh, that we created and I was like thinking at some point man I don't understand a single word he's saying and um, I must admit I learned so much from working there and so what you just said that we need to work in interdisciplinary teams that lawyers and ITlers uh, or techies as I like to call them too need to talk to each other and need to understand each other I think that is so true and um, I really also agree that we need the bottom-up approach because from the top-down approach, uh, that will be very tricky. We've got a lot of lawyers sitting in the ministries, uh, also in the parliaments, and not so many ITers, not so many engineers. And while I, I assume they have good intentions on making good regulations, I, I often think they lack the experience. But do you see that that is actually like happening now apart from what we did together? Do you see other projects that are similar, other strategies, maybe from, from Germany, from the EU? Well, I think in research is already happening in the scientific world, but I see generally this, um, also when I see it, my younger colleagues who are coming out of uh, university, uh, there's people who say, okay, I studied law, now I will study also IT. Um, there is um, people who can, you know, it's, I think it will be a more and more normal skill to be able to uh, code and to write computer programs in larger parts of society because at some point in schools we will learn how to, to do basic things. So the skill set is raising and it's, not, it's getting less and less an only expert thing to be able to work with the software. So on this on the one side, we have more and more young people growing up into being much more competent using technology than my generation and the generations before were. Um, and I see also this interest happening of exchanging thoughts. So for me, working with uh, these techies is was always interesting because the approach of solving a problem and thinking in an abstract complex system is very similar between the law um, and, and IT and the, the need also to solve something till the end um, and find this clear solution at the end also combines us. So they're actually the methodology and also the analytic thinking that is necessary to, to work with languages. I mean, at the end, it's a computer language and we work with like natural language, but this is what we're trying to do to make decisions. So there is like a lot of same methodology that we use, um, but we use totally different words and we use different tools to, uh, to get to the end. So. Um, what I see is like the, when, when you just put them in the IT lawyer and the techie into room for two two days, both of them will get out and will have learned so much. So this is totally necessary to have that more. But I th I feel it's already already happening. It's more like on a friendship base. It's how it started for me too. Just kind of talking with friends who are interested in in this or who are maybe techies. And I hope the there will be much more institutionalized ways to discuss it even in parliament and in politics. But also there are seats in the ministries, they're having these innovation hubs, they're having um, um, special departments where they are trying to get the techies who are interested in the public good uh, into, uh, into the bureaucratic structure, which is not always easy because unfortunately the bureaucratic structures and the public sector is not the most innovative sector in, um, in Germany. Uh, it's really hard to attract people, uh, innovative techies to to this environment. I have to also say that's very true. But I agree that it's a little bit changing. Um, I mean, even the firm that I'm working uh, with is like very much looking into legal tech, and we see uh, young colleagues coming with not only uh, the knowledge of law, but also able to basically code 
a little. I mean, that's the new thing, obviously. And if legal tech gets even bigger, then there will be more of them. And it will be perhaps at some time um, a special subject at university for law students where they can choose to participate in to get their degrees in that. But before we continue talking about regulation as such, um, I never talked actually about um, the details of the, um, the standardization that we created at the German Institute for Standardization because I was just I was just a participant. You were actually one of those who initiated the project. Would you like to tell um, the listener about what is it about, what problem tackles it, and of course it's it's complex, but maybe a little insight what the outcome was? Sure, yeah. I can for me it's the most natural way to explain how why we did the standardization is to start with our previous research. And what has always combined me and Christian Wirt to research together was kind of to find a common language between our disciplines to uh, what we just talked about in the last question was to kind of know what the other discipline is talking about to find a solution like find a software which is adaptable to the law and the law which is transformable into into code and um, looking into this, we found out that standardization, we came up to the point that we realized, okay, standardization is the attempt of the technical community, engineers, to find a kind of framework or like a, um, minimum rules um, of a certain technology to define it, to kind of put some normative reference on it. So we realized, okay, standardization, that's quite interesting. And also the GDPR using standardization or certificates as a way to specify the law. So we said, okay, we have these very general rules uh, in the GDPR um, and in many, many other regulation. And um, we want somehow to implement it into a software product in the end. So how do we do that? So we have to kind of find layers to specify it more and more. And standardization is one way to do that. Because it's not it's not binding law, but it's like the attempt to specify something in the framework of the existing law. Um, and then we just said, okay, why don't we make a standard ourselves to understand the methodology of standardization and the potential of bringing lawyers and uh, the technical community together also as a tool of really like play what you preach to say that's what we need, so let's do it. Um, and the idea behind the standardization, what it tries to tackle is um, to find solutions that arise from the incompatibility in many ways of GDPR regulation, which um, mostly thinks about centralized server structures and not of distributed ledger systems, um, to describe it in both languages, for both for the techies and for the lawyers, and say these are the, the biggest problems here on this community, and this is the biggest problems here, and then try to find a, a touching point between that. Uh, so doing really privacy by design in its core sense, uh, to think about the development while developing new technology products, think already of the legal implications, and try to integrate it into the solution from the beginning instead of uh, just in the end doing corrections to a system which is maybe already flawed from a legal point of view. Um, and this was basically the idea to make it easier for blockchain products on the German or European market, follow the standard to see, okay, here are your problems that you have to solve if you want to be compliant with data protection regulation. And uh, with this idea, we went to the German Institute of Standardization and uh, started this uh, inspect process. And what did you personally learn from that? And what do you think was the best part of it all? For me, it's really the people I met um, and their perspective to see how complex these problems are if you take different disciplines inside. Because talking with you, it would be very easy to talk about blockchain technology, maybe because we have the same kind of uh, background, legal background, we would maybe agree on many things. But if you talk to someone who maybe doesn't even understand your expert language, your legal language, you have to really simplify it and you have to go to the, um, to the really core of it and 
then realize that the other person has the same problem. They have a very complex background, technical, very technical language of programming. And for them, it sounds always weird what we say and the opposite. So this really sitting there and understanding each other and then putting it all together in a document, this was the, uh, yeah, before it was just an idea to say, oh, we should have this more and more. It was just two friends talking sometimes about tech and law and writing some papers. And then we did it in a big group. Um, so this was the fascinating part that it's actually possible to find a common understanding between these disciplines. Um, and we will see what, once it's published, uh, how, how useful it will be for the community. But um, I hope it will be. And also will help other people to see how can we tackle these problems on the intersection of law and, and uh, the technical world? I totally agree. And I'm very curious to see what comes out of that. Go, going one step ahead, what do you think? What, uh, we, we tackle privacy now and transparency. What do you think? What are the greatest challenges that we have with regulation of new technologies today? What What other topics do we have to face? What, what do you think which, lib uh, which uh, liberties from us are tackled by new technology? I think you've also been working in artificial, artificial intelligence, as I understood. Is that right? Yeah, right. Um, I'm trying to yeah, look at these new digital technologies and look at them a bit like uh, risk technologies that we know before, like nuclear energy or <coughs> genetic um, Uh, changes that we can make nowadays um, or pharmaceuticals or nanotechnology. So we have these new technologies which give us a lot of opportunities to improve our society and make the world a bit better. But at the same time, they have inherent risks that we somehow have to tackle. And um, in the digital world, um, we need to tackle certain things that we Collect, constantly collect data because we need data to feed the algorithms to solve the problem. But this exceeding amount of data which is collected also has this huge potential of surveillance and also of um, yeah, kind of manipulating people by giving them only certain choices. I mean, this is, and this for me, one of the key differences of the analog and the digital world is in the digital world, you can only do what is foreseen. So you can the paths that you can take are limited to what the programmers have given you. So with Bitcoin, you can uh, maybe exchange a token, but you can, I don't know, not do other things. Uh, so you're limited always in your choice in the digital world to what is given to you. In the real world, you could still like not buckle up in your car and just drive without it and you will get a fine. But in the digital world, your car will not even start driving if you're not buckled in. So there's a huge limitation of freedoms um, that we have to, that we often can't control because we lack of understanding how these IT artifacts work and we often have no influence on it because it's a commercial product that we have no insight in and that we also cannot configured to our own interests because they have been configured to the interests of those who are offering them to us. So um, what I'm very interested in is how to get this power back to the individual user to use really the technology. I mean, that's, and that's what technology has always been for, is to make our life easier and uh, more controllable and not uh, coming into a new kind of power struggle um, where we are or the, the object which is kind of nudged in certain directions and more the subject who uses its free will to do what we want and to get where we want, not be limited in our freedoms on the long run. So do you think we need the regulation for the benefit of the people uh, but all, or is there also the regulation for the benefit of the state? Um, meaning, for example, do you see that maybe administration, governmental organizations would use blockchain technology if the legal framework was there? Well, it's kind of hard to say because on one hand, the public administration has to follow the reality of the people. So if everybody's using a smartphone uh, and the public administration is saying, well, 
through your smartphone, you cannot get in touch with me. You still have to fill out these paper forms. Uh, there's a big gap between the state and society. But on the, some, on the other hand side, I don't think it's the state who should be at the forefront of technological development because the danger of um, it going wrong is, of course, quite uh, high. So it's rather to let it fail in a system where just a few consumers um, are concerned is, is something different than when you, as a public administration, implement something and suddenly there's a big data leak of all that concerns all citizens. I mean, there's a huge uh, the, the loss of uh, trust happening. So I think the, the, the government and the, the state should not be at the forefront, but they should also be interested and curious about the new things and implement it as far as they can. I'm not sure if regulation is the biggest obstacle or if it's more like the, the, the attitude that, you know, change can also bring too many risks. So let's rather stick to the old uh, way of doing things because digital technology comes with a lot of other disruptions, not just putting the analog procedure and uh, kind of putting it into a PDF or putting it onto a computer, but it gives this huge potential of agile processes. And But for that, you need the people to able and willing to uh, work with it. And so also that makes it always a bit slow because if you implement a new technology and the people working with it don't want to use it or cannot use it correctly, then also the, the impact of it will be very slow. So there's always this um, kind of problems from like the, the which come together. Uh, regulation can make it easier, especially in the German administration, which is very rule based. I think if you if there's someone saying, okay, you are allowed to do it, then a lot of people will also use it. If it's use it, if it's unclear, if it's even legal, then public administration will most likely not implement it at all. So we need the regulation. Yes. Should should regulation focus more on the threats of a new technology or more on the possibilities? Um, like, I think that's a discussion that is that I often see now in parliaments that especially members from liberal parties claim that we should not forbid new technology or not restrict it in some areas, but focus more on empowerment of new technologies. Others, however, say, as, as you underlined, that new technologies have threats and that we, of course, must assess such threats, that we must look at such threats, for example, for privacy and therefore don't go the empowerment way, but more of a restriction way in certain areas. What is your point of view on that? Well, I mean, I think it's the legal methodology to first look at the risks and try to reduce them. I think it's it's also a bit a criticism of the legal thinking uh, in it to say, okay, this can go wrong, this can go wrong, how can we avoid things going wrong and give rules that avoid that something goes wrong. I mean, this is kind of the, the way lawyers think. And empowering, what does it mean? I mean, mostly it means funding, research, and development on these technologies. This is something I guess also the government should strongly do to put their own impetus uh, on how these uh, technologies develop and support research and also neutral research, which is not only profit-oriented. Uh, so this is for me the empowerment part and uh, research on the legal ethical implications and not leave all of that uh, to the private sector. But um, I also don't really understand what would it be to empower, how can a law empower a technology? Um, like for driving, of course, if you drive a car, you can run over somebody or you can kill yourself. But how? what kind of rule would I need to empower driving the, the positive things? I can go very fast from A to B, but what would be the empowering way of regulation? This is something I don't really get uh, from people making this argument. I understand that very well. And I agree that we first need to look at the risks because that's what we do as lawyers, um, minimize the risk for everyone. Um, however, some also claim that every regu any regulation that you do on new technologies is lost or old-fashioned the moment it comes out because technology of today, especially in the digital sector, is so, so quickly moving that it doesn't make actually sense to 
approach uh, regulation of technologies or at least not um, approach the specific regulation for blockchain, but rather than have other rules that are in general and not like limited to one technology, for example, GDPR. And instead, what is your point of view of that? Do we need to regulate specific technologies or more like give out basic rules that apply to a wider range um, of developing te technologies? Yeah, I would rather say the second. Um, I think law should and has to be abstract. Um, like I don't, I mean, blockchain technology maybe itself is uh, not abstract enough. Uh, for me, the phenomenon that needs to be regulated more specifically would be um, shared data structures. Of Usually we say, okay, there's one controller and he he has everything in his hand. All the, all the processes, all the data somehow is controlled by that person. Um, but especially the uh, distributed ledger and blockchain gives you the possibility to have more people having different responsibilities. And this, of course, makes the whole liability point of view much, much more important. So we need joint controllership, more people. What does it mean, actually? Um, and how can we use these decentralized peer-to-peer -peer computing things? Like who is the who is responsible for what? Uh, this is very unclear. So this is the topic that would need more regulation and new ideas and more creativity because the concept behind the law is that there's this one um, monopole uh, or one central actor who can control most of the things. And this is not true anymore. And if we focus on that, we leave a lot of potential behind. So in this way, I would say, yes, we need regulation also to empower these new technologies uh, to use their, their, their chances if we understand that a certain phenomenon has changed. But I would not say let's uh, go into the individual technologies and regulate them in a way because this is actually a question of product development, but give the product development more values and guidelines of how to solve it. I think there's also a huge need in the IT sector And even, I mean, if you look at the Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress, I said, please give us rules. You know, we, we don't know how to handle all of this. So this is where regulation has to come part and say, okay, these are the principles that you should follow. This is something you have to bear in mind. It's how you solve conflicts of interests. If transparency goes versus confidentiality, how can we actually move ahead? And this is, so we, we need to come from an abstract point of view. Um, and not go too specific. But this is a, a question where this boundary is drawn is, of course, very difficult and uh, very different uh, in different uh, technologies. Uh, if we assume that there were such general guidelines like we have now with the GDPR, but also in other areas, be it blockchain, be it um, artificial intelligence, Who do you think who should supervise that? Should it actually be the state? Um, and if, if so, what do you think are the challenges for administrations when they have to be the police of the new technologies? Well, yeah, yeah I think they shouldn't be the police of these new technologies. Um, I mean, I strongly believe in society uh, as, a, as a construct that brings out... So it's not just the... I don't think the ministries are the ones who should bring that, but it should be the, yeah, the civil society concern, like being research, being uh, NGOs, uh, being companies. All of those have to find the forms and methods of a debate on how to use it and test it and experiment with it. <clears throat> and then it's a democratic process that should also come up uh, to the parliament, to ministries and so on. But without the civil society kind of testing, using it, there's no, no sense. So it, I don't think the, also the supervisory bodies, um, at the end, when there's a law, of course, they have to implement the law, but we should not also give them the whole burden of saying, okay, here, politics, solve all our problems, um, but rather also see who are the actors who can contribute and form a participatory process in society that gives a way to balance out the interests. Um, I know it's a quite abstract answer, but um, I think it has to also strongly come uh, bottom up and uh, also from a corporate responsibility for what, what you do. Um, and yeah. 
Well, I think it's it's totally fine because, of course, there was a very complex question. And corporate responsibility is a huge topic that I think will grow um, very much in the future, not only by the legal framework, but also by the pressure of people, be it uh, when it comes to uh, privacy, be it when it comes to sustainability and taking care of the environment. So you're absolutely right that this should be a bottom-up process. One thing that I wonder, however, is uh, the following. Um, you, you named, for example, technologies uh, before like uh, medicine, like nuclear power plants. And when we looked at that, that were all topics that were regional or national. For example, um, it's a regional topic where I'll build a, a power plant. It's a national topic uh, which uh, medicine can be distributed and sold in Germany. However, when we now look at blockchain and artificial intelligence and other technologies that come over the internet, they are, I don't think they are national anymore. Like I can, can actually, is the national, what do you think? Who, who should be this um, supervisor? Where, where should be the legislation? Where should it come from when we have such technologies? Well, that's pretty hard uh, to tackle this problem that in a globalized, digitalized world where everything is somehow connected and where one individual legislator or regulator cannot control everything, it's very hard to look for the kind of superpower to, to regulate it. And then we look at the United Nations, there's some, they try some things, the European Union and so on, but it's hard to find this framework. But if you, if I think more, from an um, economical point of view, I think that we also should think about industrial politics and these questions together. So in the end, the technology, digital technology that we have at the moment or have had in the past is mostly being developed without the values that um, we're trying to promote or the, the, the human rights in mind. It was mostly developed with a... Um, profit-oriented approach to say, how can I use the most data to get the most insights to make the most money out of it? So it's also if Europe, um, for example, or under the European legislation, we create products, really uh, products which are safe, which are privacy-friendly, which are functioning. It's not just concepts, we really need software parts and open source uh, that actually be usable and are very efficient, but also respect user-friendliness, I think it will be uh, really good for also the, the, the um, for exporting it, because who doesn't have an interest, like customers around the world, in having these technologies? But right now, we don't have the choice to use a very safe uh, social network. Um, or like have a smartphone, which is uh, the, the possibility to safely store personal data on it. Uh, we don't have that. So by developing this, we're super late, of course, like it should have been from the beginning. But like this, if you think industrial politics, it could be also things made in Europe could become something like the renewable energies with solar power, wind power coming from Europe, um, or in this way also Germany, can also be a huge financial profit because it actually fulfills the needs. All around the world, people don't want to be surveyed in the in the digital sphere. Um, more than necessary. And so I think by developing these products, you already give a strong impact. And at the same time, of course, you have to work on the regulatory framework of it. Um, but this will be left to, yeah, well, the national states for the moment and maybe have some framework on the UN uh, level. But um, of course, this is a slow process. But I think it's a very cool idea that you just put out that... Um, regulation in this way, or at least uh, the problems that are tackled with regulation can lead to um, ideas, innovations that then like spread all over the world. And the idea is not so far away. If we look at EU GDPR, which was the um, basic uh, foundation for the new California privacy rules. So it's not that everything that comes from regulation, uh, especially from the EU, is considered bad and uh, it, it also changed a little bit at least the big players like Facebook, Amazon and Google when it comes to privacy. So 
Yeah, I I can very much follow you on on that idea, and I really like it that you put it up. So that puts an optimistic view or a point of view also on regulating new technologies. So um, we could talk about this for hours, but um, I'd rather have invite you again to tackle some subjects. Let me let me ask you what's what's your plan for this year? What's new? What's going to happen this year, two thousand and twenty? Which topics are you currently looking into? Well, mostly in 2020, well, to follow up on things that have already started. Um, one thing is um, that I'm working on with great interest is uh, data law, is to understand how we can build um, like a legal framework around data, maybe in a way, way comparable uh, that we have around things, like natural uh, things, like in a way like uh, property rights, uh, sharing rights, distributed rights, and the legal framework for actually what I talked in the end is building these new technologies, which are user and privacy friendly, and what kind of legal framework do we need for that in a creative way, not just adapting the ideas uh, from, from the past, but really maybe developing new categories even in the law, which are more compatible with the, uh, with the technical reality. Um, so this is uh, would be a very big interest of mine, and I would also like to do more things like this, more talk about things, get into discussions, go to conferences, and uh, also write an article here or there, um, maybe also for a wider audience. This is something I would I would like to do, and um, yeah, get in touch with more people also outside the academic world um, to see what's what on their mind. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to invite you to their conference and have you speak on the topics you just mentioned? Well, yeah, they can just write me an email, um, Google my name, um, on uh, my work address of the German Institute of Research uh, and Public um, Administration or uh, my private email, um, which is uh, michael.colain, K-O-L-A-I-N, at posteo.de. Very cool. And of course, I think they can find you on LinkedIn, if I'm correct. Right, yeah. LinkedIn, uh, so I have a Twitter. Cool. So you're all on the bad social media as well. But anyhow, there was a fantastic interview. And thank you so much for the insight, Michael. I hope I can have you back on the podcast in the future. And I hope that you will have a great year with all the ideas that are floating through your head. Well, thanks, yeah, for the invitation again. And Glad to get to stay in touch and come again to your show. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Bye-bye for now, Michael, and until soon. If you want to learn more about Dennis, please visit his website, theblockchain.lawyer, or connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, everyone. 